0: One of the coolest things about thinking of inclusion in the workplace is that every single person has an opportunity to be part of the solution. You don't really know like what that means, right? How can I, regardless of what my title is or how long I've been in a company or where I sit in the organization, how can I be part of creating an inclusive culture? Well, We have created here at Uplifting Impact an opportunity for anybody who is interested in being that inclusive leader, being able to get the kind of training and materials and resources and community that you need in order to be successful. We are calling it our Bridge Builder Institute, and it is a membership-based program, again, for people who are looking to really lead the change and help build the kinds of inclusive cultures that allow for everybody to thrive. So if you're interested in learning more and really gaining that skill and gaining that toolkit and making sure that you can be part of the change you want to see inside of your organization, we'd invite you to join us for our newly launched Bridge Builder Institute.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Uplifting Impact podcast. I'm Justin Ponder, Chief Information Officer with Uplifting Impact, and I'm excited to be hosting you today as we dive deeper into our journey to make the world more diverse, equitable and inclusive. Today, I'm very excited to be talking with Rowan Garnett. Rowan Garnett, PhD, is the Director of Inclusion, Diversity, Equity and Accessibility, or IDEA, at the Milwaukee Public Museum. He leads the strategic and programmatic direction for IDEA initiatives, focusing on integrating diversity with the core vision, mission, and values of MPM. Rowan's heart lies in advancing the museum's commitment to preserve and protect the well-being of our world's natural and cultural diversity. Rowan is passionate about leveraging mentoring, information, and insights at scale to enable all students the opportunity to earn a degree or certificate towards a successful career-fulfilling life. Garnet, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Justin, for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. So you mentioned in our conversation before the interview started that NPM, Milwaukee Public Museum, hired you as an outsider to the Milwaukee community. And you're also new to the museum space. Can you elaborate on that for our listeners?
2: Yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, you know, I mean, first of all, I think I, I just I do want to acknowledge um, that, uh, you know, the, the leadership uh, went outside the box a bit, and you know, decided to hire someone who hasn't actually worked in a museum, um, a museum space. But I say I'm an outsider because I, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, I'm not from I'm not from Milwaukee, as I just said. I'm not from the museum space. I'm also not someone with a natural and cultural studies um, major. Uh, I'm someone who got my PhD in education. So it, in so many ways, I'm someone who's a bit uh, non-traditional, uh, if you will, but it, I think it sets me up nicely to be a facilitator um, for much of my life. And I think even just by by birth, um, my experience um, has been someone who bridges uh, communities uh, for for folks. And so I think I mentioned to you um, when we were getting going that um, you know i'm originally from the virgin islands uh i lived in maine i lived in washington um i lived in oklahoma and here i am uh, now living in wisconsin and so having that kind of uh rich diverse experience allows me to actually have conversation to show up to people with different conversations, uh with different experiences and that's what I mean when I say I'm sort of the person who is almost, uh, I don't know, fostered to do uh, um, this kind of bridging belonging work.
1: Mm. And so how do you feel that having that outsider's experience and just kind of bridging these gaps, what has been the best experience or the tips that you've learned on how to bridge these differences?
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is um, it's just, it's just hearing people, you know, it's, it's mm. listening to people's experiences. I'll tell you, Justin, one of the things... I find incredibly challenging is, and I, I guess, I suppose we could even sort of frame it in, um, in, in sort of the Milwaukee context in, in, in the sense that it's a segregated society, right? And so if we've, if we've been living um, in isolation, it means that voices aren't actually being heard. Mm. And so I tell people the power of this concept of a bridge, is if we truly want understanding, if we truly want to bridge differences, we have to understand where each other is coming from. And so if you can imagine for a second, if I were to meet someone and we truly wanted to come to know each other, that person might actually decide to go and maybe live in the islands uh, for a bit. Maybe it's going to live in Maine for a bit. And then when they show up to me, it's there's some experiences that are going to overlap, if you will, there's a Venn diagram of experiences that mm. are going to overlap. And so we can see each other um, a bit better and we can show up with much more understanding. But what happens when we live in sort of a segregated society, It almost becomes binary. I tell you what my experience um, has been and you almost have to counter that by telling me, well, no, nope, this is kind of the way it is because this is the way my experience has been. So we don't, we oftentimes aren't honoring, um, people's experiences and that creates a uh, sort of division between people in difference. Uh, and so my experience just as someone who, I don't know, been to many places, uh, I, I, I always show up in spaces as a student, as someone who is mm-hmm. learning. And, and in that sense, yeah. I'm, I'm always the facilitator, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> That's share good. your experience with me, um, I'll listen to you and I'll tell you what my experience have, um, has been and I think something that that allows for people to sort of uh, build relationships.
1: And so going in with an attitude of always being a student, always being a facilitator, always listening and always learning. That seems like a fantastic note for everybody out there listening. Write that down. That's what you should do. But on an organizational level, like how do you create the environment where people who aren't inclined? They don't have that personality. They always want to tell you about themselves. and They don't want to listen or they assume that their particular and often privileged experience is the experience. How do you create systems, operations, opportunities at an organizational level to allow for that learning and facilitation to happen across differences? So if you already have a personality to be a bridge builder, how do you create an environment where everyone, even those who aren't already inclined to be bridge builders can yeah. also bridge some build No, I some appreciate bridges.
2: that question a great deal because that's, that's gonna be um, one of the great challenges. Here at MPM, <laughs> it's, um, it's both this sort of uh, internal engagement and, and external um, engagement. I, you know, everything I've said to you so far essentially is about me building interpersonal relationships. And I think it's incredibly important, even at an organizational level, in doing this work to actually build relationships with people across departments, right? And it's not so much as like, inviting people to meetings and, uh, or, uh, inviting, um, guests into, to to talk to, um, uh, talk to the, talk to the museum, that stuff is really, really important. But for that, that internal work, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us could do a really good job of actually getting to know each other at a personal level, because what it allows for is for people to be a bit more open a bit more transparent about things. I talk about this thing of like moving away from, us talking about being woke and moving towards talking about our blind spots, right? Like I can imagine if a lot of people were in a space and show up talking about where they can't see themselves, where they can't see how they enter into spaces, um, that would allow for for all of us to to sort of show up with a bit more humility. Uh, So as I begin my work here, a big part of the way I'm hoping to do this, and I think I've already began to do this is to actually reach out to people on at an individual level to get to know folks and a lot of that is very intentional in terms of the people who've, who've been here, the people who've actually been at NPM for a very long time and who've established relationships with folks and I tell people the relationship itself is the bridge, right? Mm-hmm. that relationship would allow me to move to the next one to the next one and that, that sort of um, the interpersonal relationships becomes the collection of the network that you need to move through. But for me, I think it begins at a very interpersonal level, engaging with people, letting people know you hear them, allowing people to share their grievances um, and, and some sort of move move forward through, through those relationships.
1: And now in your title, oftentimes we talk about DEI, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, but your title is Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, And accessibility. So for a lot of our listeners who might be focused on DEI, can you talk a little bit about what the A, the accessibility, what that means and what it looks like?
2: Yeah, I mean, accessibility is essentially it's I mean, I I would sum it up as almost like um, allowing for a sense of belonging. Um, You know, one of my colleagues here, uh, Dawn, um, she is the accessibility coordinator and I've already learned a great deal uh, from Don because one of the things that I necessarily I haven't necessarily been thinking about because it hasn't really been my work is um, people with disabilities, right? Mm-hmm. And so making sure that every space in the museum, ex- every exhibition, every gallery is presented in a way that someone who, for example, might be blind can actually interact with. Um, with that space, so it's been very intentional about creating spaces for people um, of all backgrounds, um, all experiences to kind of show up in the space.
1: And that's a very important point because lots of times when people hear initially diversity, equity, inclusion, they say, "Oh, this is about." really interracial reconciliation. That's right. And then they forget about all the other things along the lines, race, ethnicity, age, gender, sexuality, ability, status. And ability status is oftentimes, in my experience, the one ability status and age often really get left off. They are the ones that are often the least. And when we talk about ability status, especially We, I think, constantly overlook the ways in which that affects way more people. There's lots of conversation about invisible disabilities, either chronic pain or mental health management, all these different things that we often don't think about. So that's really important that you address that. And what might be some of the other complexities about kind of this intersectional accessibility and inclusion that you find... Exciting, the greatest opportunities, and maybe oftentimes the greatest challenges that people overlook. What about this intersectional aspect of greater inclusion?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's so just even to to touch back on what I just said, so much of my my work has been focused on young people, right? Mm. And so, to that point about meeting Dawn, and her work is very much situated in uh, the elderly and people with with disabilities, and so you 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 begin to see um, that need to sort of bring different people, different the, the generational piece into the same space. I mean, imagine the learning and the education that could happen um, when you have uh, young people uh, and their elders operating um, in the same in the same space, and so. That whole bit about being inclusive is something that extends beyond, like you said, uh, these, the demographics that we tend to sort of focus on. And what I really like, like to focus on is actually more or less those interactions of demographics, right? That, mm-hmm. like, we sit as, 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 as people sitting here right now, we are, we, are, we are a number of things. We, across class, race, and all those things are interacting all at, all at once. One of the things that I would really love to do here, Justin, is to understand who the visitors are coming through our doors, right? Um, understand the communities that are showing up in our spaces and look very closely and critically at neighborhoods that we aren't actually connecting with. Because I think we have data here that will, will tell us that. And then you know, create some sort of marketing Strategy to reach out to co- communities that we, we haven't typically engaged. And I'll tell you this, and I think I, I mentioned this when, when we were um, getting ready to, to come on here, that I tend to Uber, um, take an Uber to, to work. And so I've been having a lot of conversation with people in, in the community, and, and, and I've heard some wonderful stories about people coming to the museum. Uh, but what I've noticed also about that is in in many cases when i'm interacting with um, people from the black community it's oftentimes oh i haven't i haven't gone to the museum or i haven't been to the museum in a really long time that that interaction is is oftentimes different i think when i'm talking to someone who is is white right there's a Mm -hmm. whole different experience um, with the museum and i think we need to pay attention to that. And it doesn't mean, I think sometimes again, what, what happens with, with folks is that if you if you do something for, for one or give attention, it means somehow it takes from the other. It's like, no, what it means is that we need to be a little bit more inclusive. So let's do some targeting on populations or groups of people that we typically haven't um, served. And so that's some of the work that I'm gonna try to figure out how to do here is to set up something where I'm looking at each department and I'm asking them to think within the context of idea, what what has your work looked like? And what would you want your work to look like um, as we go forward? And as I begin to have those conversations, I guarantee you, I'm gonna tease out some themes that (laughs) cuts across, um, I think what we are hoping to accomplish here um, at the museum.
1: And I think you, mention something that's really valuable to most of our listeners as well. It's like if you're at a museum at a public museum or if you're at an art museum or you work for a symphony orchestra or um, a library, oftentimes there's these spaces or particular companies that sell a particular product, There very often becomes either through historical kind of neglect of a particular population or larger cultural events beyond the individual institutions control the developed sense that that space isn't for me that space is for them but it's not for me so even the example that you hear oh well museum's a place for white people black folks don't go there so how do you connect with whether again i'm at the museum or i'm with the symphony orchestra or i'm at a business and we're trying to sell into new markets how do you create these new relationships across communities because you've talked about interpersonal relationships building bridges Mm one-on-one within an intra-organizational bridges between departments but how do you make even maybe that longest bridge across an organization and communities that it has not connected with in the past
2: yeah i mean that's the and i think that's the the sort of big umbrella of all of this work it's like real it, it's um, set in community engagement, right? Yeah. It's just being really intentional about the work that we're doing. So I'll give you an example. Um, uh, I mean, I think soon after I, I arrived here, I was introduced to some folks at mm-hmm. Um And I was invited over there to take a tour of the building. I think it, it was about two hours.
1: And it's the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design, right? That's right. Yeah,
2: yeah. that's right. Um, and I... I don't know, like 20 minutes into the space in the conversation, I was inspired uh, because you actually had students work on display, right? And so I left there um, with the question, like who do I talk to next to figure out how to uh, begin to have a conversation about how we we do some work across our our institutions. And I met a um, a gentleman uh, named Brad, uh, and we began to talk about this idea that we have here to do some, some work in the, in the Africa exhibit. And it was quickly, well, is there anyone in the space that you know in your network that are expert you know, scholars or community members who can really speak to what they think should be represented in that uh, in Af- Africa gallery? Um, space because it needs to tie that that space itself needs to probably tie back to the Wisconsin or Milwaukee community Mm -hmm. and so we want people who are actually sitting in this space who've lived in this space to actually come into conversation about how it should look and how it should be represented so much of the work is grounded in community um community engagement so whether it's designing a new space at the museum um or talking to folks outside about uh the museum either way we have to we have to start to go to folks um and we have to also just sort of bring folks in the into the space so it's this sort of bi-directional relationship with um with the community and also bi-directional relationship with folks inside of um the space, if that makes
1: sense. Oh, absolutely. I hear a few themes there for our listeners. One, like positions like yours, where it's like, hey, somebody who can focus and specialize on this. But then also you mentioned being intentional and setting up programs, but then also outreach, but also changing what's happening inside. So there's a reason for people who you're reaching out to, to see themselves in once you bring them in. And that's a whole lot of bridges that you're building there. And I'd like that's to... Right provide a little space for you to talk about We Bridge Belonging. So you're, you were talking about that before, and I'd like to hear a little bit about what it is, about the impact it's had and just share the awesomeness about it with our listeners. Yeah, no, I,
2: I appreciate, I appreciate that opportunity. I, um and I think it's wise for me to sort of back to back into it. Right. Um, and I think I mentioned at the, at the onset um, that um, you know, I've lived in um, multiple places, but I was the Caribbean kid who ended up in Maine, um, you know, from, from the Virgin Islands. And the college going process was incredibly challenging for me. For example, I, I only applied to one college, that, that one college in Maine. I only did it because my high school basketball coach essentially came to me and said, uh, I think I call it the last hour. It was my senior year. And he was like, yeah. hey, well, and a couple of guys had gone to this um, this school in Maine, I think I think it'd be a good fit. So I ended up going off to school uh, there in Maine. But I was also very much an independent student, so I had to work and support myself. Um, and there was a situation where I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't be deemed as an independent student because I wasn't of a certain age. And so what I decided to do was to take that time off until I became that age, and I went back. So essentially, it took me eight years to get to my undergrad, and then I went to work at Bowdoin College in Maine, and uh, a good part of my role there was interacting with communities, and there are these college access community-based organizations that I interacted with, and I was really fascinated with how they were actually engaging with students and and advising students about the college-going process, and I'll share an example where I'm at Bowdoin, and I get a call from a counselor Uh, not the parent of this young person, not the college counselor uh, from the school that the student came from, but from from someone at the community-based organization asking me if if I'd seen this young person uh, recently. And I said, yes. And they asked me how they were doing. And I said, well, I think uh, everything seems to be fine. And she said, no, if it were up to him, he'd be back home here in Chicago um, tomorrow. He's not actually uh, having a good time. And I found that to be really fascinating. In fact, it made me thought like, wow, I mean, what if every young person had this? What if every young person had that community, that, that those kind of relationships that they can connect to to facilitate um, these other relationships uh, for them? So I took that and I went to grad school, um, wanted to make better sense of how we, we do that. And so my graduation, uh, or my, my, rather my dissertation work was grounded in a sense of belonging. How do we, mm-hmm. how do we create a better sense of belonging for students on on college uh, campuses, and that's how that sort of the the name came through of um, wanting to to bridge belonging um, for young people in the post secondary space. Um, a lot of that work right now is I've I've done some work with Bank of America. I've done some work with um, with with Mentor, um, and I'm in some other conversation with some other organization about how do we build better systems uh, for young people and a lot of that is just really based in network and I want to say this Justin that I think oftentimes when we think of mentoring we often think think of mentoring as this sort of very individualized thing where it's an adult person with a young person and we should really think about it as sort of network mentoring right, right. in a situation where someone would have, a young person would have come to me and tell me they're interested in say the school I went to and I couldn't have that conversation and suddenly I realized that they might want to major in something that i i don't have a background in so i could say you know what my buddy i'm introduced to my buddy uh, justin he majored in that particular discipline and while you're having a conversation maybe if something else comes up and you say i'll connect you to another person and all of a sudden there's three people in that young person's um network right. uh, that they can reach out to and and, and be in touch with, with questions and i think that's where the real meaningful impact is and so much of my work has been around building um, specifications about how we actually do um, that work for young people at scale. So essentially, it's scaling those community-based organizations so that more young people will actually flourish um, in, their, in their pursuits.
1: So you've shared a lot about building bridges and building all these connections. So how can our listeners remain connected with you?
2: You know, folks can find me at LinkedIn. Uh, My name is Rowan Garnett, R-H-O-A-N-G-A-R-N-E-T-T.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Rowan Garnett, for spending some time with us and teaching us some things.
2: I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Justin.
1: And thank you to all of you for spending some time with us and listening in for this week's episode of the Uplifting Impact podcast. And Rowan, we need more people like you to uplift the impact. In order to do so, be sure to share this episode Comment on it by going to our website at upliftingimpact.com or provide your thoughts directly to us through LinkedIn at upliftingimpact, Impact or looking for Justin Ponder and Deanna Singh. And until next week, keep uplifting the impact.